Hi, and welcome to Come Read With Me, Rev Chris. Chris and David are currently off recording season three. Until then, check back here each week to hear one of Chris's sermons from the archive. Enjoy. A few uh, years back, I, uh, before I came to St. Saviour's, the Bishop of Kensington asked me to um, look after a church in Hounslow called Holy Trinity Hounslow, and it sits on the high street in, Holy, in Hounslow. It's a massive, big, cavernous church. It's massive concrete building. It's pretty ugly. Um, and, you know, you go in there and you, the ceiling is huge. It's just all um, grey concrete up the sides. And uh, it's, it's big. It's a big, big church. And um, so the, the vicar there got ill, sadly, and had to leave his office as, as pastor and priest there. So the bishop said to me initially, can you go and just lead it for a while and help the people, you know, maybe a month or two? And I was like, yeah, sure. Classic. I was there like 10 months. Um, and... Uh, helping to kind of run and lead this church. Um, when I got there, there was no heating. The heating had just broken. And um, this was a big building. This was a big, high, cold, concrete building. And I would preach, but like in my coat and like wrapped up. And, um, and when I spoke, you could see the breath of my mouth coming out and people would be in the pews and you could see their breath and it was like, or in the chairs. And it was pretty, pretty crazy and everyone was just freezing the whole time. And um, we ended up having to put, I said to everyone, well, this is ridiculous, we're all freezing. So I ended up going into like a back cha- a chapel area and borrowing one of those generators that heat up marquees. And, you know, you ton- we put this like, you know, like a, one of the children's climbing tunnels, kind of got one of those, put it into this room and had the generator pumping hot air through that into, the, uh, into this chapel. So at least we had some warmth while we thought about what on earth we're going to do for this huge building that had no heating. Um, the cost of the, of the heating was just around 80 grand and um, the church wasn't in place to, to pay for that. But there was new wardens, and one day we were going through, like, the, the wardens were going through the finances and trying to get their heads around everything, and they came across this, this trust fund that no one had uh, known about. It's like Watergate's Trust or something. And they looked into it, and it was formed back in the 60s from someone who was, um, who was dying, and they, they put a legacy fund into the church. So they gave some of their money into this trust fund as, they, in, as part of their will, and no one had touched it since the 60s, and it had 80 grand in it. And the church suddenly found that they had this money and they paid for a whole new heating system to be put in, and we had heat, which was amazing. Hallelujah. Okay, well done. How often do we fail to, to take into consideration the truth that God knows our situation um, that he provides, that he is wanting to provide, if we should seek him and trust him, that he is often working behind the scenes in ways we don't know or can, cannot fathom. I think we're often too quick to look at our own resources and to the world and the worldly provision around us, and we forget to see the world as the Lord sees it. The story of Jesus meeting the Samaritan lady is jam-packed with so many different angles that I could take as a preacher. And just to kind of touch on a, on a, on a few, 
We see Jesus breaking boundaries, breaking cultural norms. He's speaking to a woman alone, and not only a woman alone, a Samaritan woman alone, which was a complete no-no for a Jewish man. This woman is also really interesting. If you read the way she speaks, the way it's recorded, this woman does not shy away from Jesus. She's not a shrinking violet. She challenges him. She almost patronizes him and questions him about his talking, his speech. She comes across quite intelligent, quite articulate, quite a force of reckoning. She has traditionally sometimes been referred to as a little bit of a harlot, you know, five husbands and fetching water in the afternoon. Perhaps she's an outcast. But it could be that this was an intelligent woman, and a, a woman who often questioned things, who was actually too much for men at the time. And men in those days, if they had a, a troublesome woman, could easily put her away, put her aside. So another way of looking at this was this, this woman was very intelligent and articulate and was quite a challenge to men, and men couldn't deal with her, and they kept divorcing her. I get the impression that she was quite feisty, that she knew her mind, that she was someone who was quite challenging. Last week, we had International Women's Day, and for too long, women have been oppressed, oppressed and pushed aside when clearly God created us as equals. And when we in the church are also often to blame for that, patronizing positions and patriarchal interpretations of scripture. Lest we forget that this, this woman who has often been shunned and potentially shunned by her own community at the time, she is the first Gentile preacher. She goes to a Samaritan village, a non-Jewish village, and she gets the whole town to come out and they receive Christ. She is the first, in a sense, apostle to the Gentiles, you could argue. But anyway, there's lots that could be said on this woman. But that's not really what I want to talk about today. But I want to kind of touch on this, these words um, recorded here. When the Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, will you give me a drink? His disciples had gone to the, food to, had gone to the town to buy food. The Samaritan woman said, you are a Jew, I'm a Samaritan woman. You can't ask me for a drink. Jews do not associate with Samaritans. Jesus answered her, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that asks you for a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. Sir, the woman said, you have nothing to draw water with. Some recordings say this. Sir, the woman said, you have no bucket and the well is deep. Where can you get this living water? So we have this radical interaction. Um, but the thing I want to concentrate on is Jesus' question to the woman, his request, and then her reply. Jesus asks this woman, can you give me a drink? What do we know about Jesus? We know that he is the miraculous, miracle man. We know that he can do all things. We know some of his, we know his miracle stories. Um, I don't know if you know, but I looked up kind of... Um, what's called the kind of myth or mythical stories of Jesus when he was younger. So when Jesus was a kid, there are these stories that sometimes came out, some recorded in the Gnostic Gospels, and actually there's one recorded in the Quran itself about Jesus. And um, they're quite interesting, and in our canonical law as church, uh, we don't see them as scriptural, but I thought they're quite interesting, so I thought I'd share a few with you from Jesus as a child growing up. So... One of the stories is that he made clay birds. 
And then he was making clay birds and he was like, hey, look. And then he made them actually come alive and be birds. And uh, they flew away. That's actually in the Gnostic gospel and recorded in, in the Quran. Um, other miracles include Jesus resurrects a friend who fell from a roof. He heals a man who chopped his foot with an axe. He carries water on a cloth for his mother. He produces a feast from a single grain. Uh, quite handy to have him around the house because at one stage he, we're told, he extends a beam of wood for his dad who's making a bed. The wood wasn't long enough. <laughs> um, he heals his brother James from a snake bite. Uh, he resurrects a child who was a friend of his who died of illness. He resurrects a man who died in, in some construction accident that I think his dad may have known. None of these are canonical. None of these are what we would call, uh, we, would, we wouldn't call them scriptural. Um, but they're interesting stories. But we do know the stories which are from eyewitness accounts. So the ones in our tradition are an eyewitness has seen this and recorded it. Um, or a, a disciple of an eyewitness has recorded it. And that's why it's called scripture and it's in our scripture. We could talk about that, but that's going on a tangent. I don't want to go down. Point is, these are myth and legend, but they're quite fun. But what do we do know about Jesus? We do know that he feeds 5,000 people with five loaves and two fish. We know that he walked on water. We know that he commanded the seas and the skies. And we know that he raises the dead. We know he can do amazing things, and yet he sits at this well thirsty. And he asks this woman, can you give me a drink? He could have picked up a stone, for goodness sake, and gone, water. But he didn't. Kind of similar in a way to the devil's temptation to him. You're hungry. Turn this, turn this stone to bread. But no, he asked this woman, can you give me a drink? Scripture is full of this type of teaching that God, although can do all things, asks us, requests of us, things that he wants to work in partnership with us. That God just doesn't come and just do everything himself. He raises us up to work in combination with him. And often it's mind-boggling to us as his children. Why would you want me to do this with you? Or why would you need me to work with you? And, but God does do that. In his unfathomable humility, he requests us, his children, to work with him in partnership with him. And our response is, you know, sometimes, I couldn't possibly, I'm, I'm too weak, I'm no good. Surely someone is better. And by the way, not to like go down on you too much, but this, that is a, a, a reaction of pride often because we think that we can sometime earn our way to work for God. The humble response is, not my will, yours be done. And I will do as you request, as we see reflected in what Mary says. Be it unto me according to your will, Lord. The humble response is to go where God calls us, is to work with him. Not trusting in our ability, but trusting in his provision. You know, we do see these, these people, people getting it wrong all the time, but God in his grace using them still. We see Moses. Moses questions God when God says, lead my people. He, he says, oh, oh, I can't talk. I can't. Send Aaron. Send Aaron. Please send Aaron. And Lord argues with him. And eventually they both go. Gideon, who God calls out to be a warrior for his people, says, hold on, I'm the, I'm the least in my father's house. I am a weak, foolish guy. J- 
Jeremiah, the prophet, says, I'm too young. I'm too young. Don't send me. Peter's first response to Jesus is, get away from me, Lord. I'm a sinful man. I can't. I'm too sinful. This woman questions Jesus. Why are you talking to me? I'm a woman. I'm a Samaritan woman at that. Why, why, why are you talking to me? Jesus goes on and says to her, if you knew the one who was asking you, you would ask him and he would give you a spring of living water that would be inside you, conjure up inside you. His first request is for her to help him and his second is a promise. which I will give you a spring of life. Again and again, God chooses his, his people and he says to his people, come and trust me, choose me, choose me, trust me and I will bring you blessing. I will bring you my spirit. It will live in you and it will be for you a spring of life. We have these amazing promises from God. And Jesus promises this woman this spring of life and what is her reply? You don't have a bucket. You don't have a bucket. It's kind of crazy. It's kind of funny, I think. But you don't have a bucket. How often do we kind of say that to the Lord in some way or another? You know, God says, I'm going to bring you to glory. And we say, you don't have a passport. You know, we look at our human resources. We look at the world. We respond in a worldly way. And and God just says, will you give me a drink of water? Will you help me? Will you come with me on this journey? Will you walk with me? Will you be my hands and feet in this situation? And if you do, I will produce such things in you that you would not know. We need to start seeing the world differently. Um, All that is in it is in God's hands. You know, the psalmist says, the cattle on a thousand hills belong to the Lord. All is his. We need to get away from this gathered man, this gathering kind of hoarding mentality, this sense of I've earned this, this is mine. And we need to be more generous with ourselves, with our lives, with our gifts, with our giving, whatever it is. We need to see it as borrowed and as the Lord's. And once we see and change our attitude to our resources in the world, we will live unburdened lives because we will realize that our trust increases and our peace increases and we won't be so worried and constricted by the things around us. Recently, our church purchased this amazing piano. Um, We needed it uh, because this other piano is going to be taken away soon. And um, it's it's an amazing blessing, but it's not, it wasn't free. We had to buy it, we had to purchase it. Um, At the moment, we are doing the front of the church. We're reconstructing and and landscaping the front of church. We've got a garden that we're putting in um, with a cross and uh, two benches and little four little gardens that will bud outside the front. It will be a blessing to everyone that goes by um, and to the local community and also to our church. We needed to clear that and we had to spend a good amount of money on, on doing that. It used to be a bit of a toilet, a bit of a dumping ground, kind of a murky place. So we're doing that at the moment. Uh, We've just employed Lauren, who's doing a good job with the junior church and developing that. In the future, the PCC are thinking about maybe getting a curate or maybe an associate vicar to help me run the church to big up 
and increase our capacity of what we can do as a church. And all of this is possible because people give, because you tithe, because you sacrificially give. You trust us as the church with finance. You put, in a sense, God in that place first. And I would just encourage you, for those of you who are yet to sign up to standing orders or regular giving through the envelopes, I want to encourage you that this is part of your growth as a disciple of Christ, that this is about putting into place your priorities and saying, I am choosing to trust God in this. It's not about me saying, oh, give me your money and being a weird televangelist, 50p, miracles, or whatever. It's about actually saying, this is, this is a priority for me. This is part of my discipleship. This is part of my trust. And actually, it will bring you freedom as you do that. Freedom from the oppression of worry, of money and finance and things like that. After her encounter with Jesus, this woman, this, this, the, this, this woman is still there. The disciples come back um, and they start questioning Jesus about, have you eaten? He's like, don't worry, my food is what you don't. And they're like, what have you eaten? It's kind of like the similar idea to the bucket. What, what physical thing have you eaten? Like, how, how are you, what, what have you done in the world that that's given you some food? And Jesus is like, oh, my goodness sake. And he actually teaches them, look, my will is to do the work. My food is to do that which the Father calls me. That gives me food. That gives me sustenance. Then the woman goes to the city and she tells everyone. You know, I know that in my life, the greater trust I have in Jesus, the greater peace I've had. But trust comes through Transformation, and that comes, through tr- that comes through doing. That comes through saying, actually, I'm going to do this. I'm going to give this, or I'm going to serve here. I'm going to do this action. It doesn't start often by just, we don't always just jump into trust. It takes a while. We cultivate it. There, w- there will be some of us who have had Damascus Roads experience, where it's like, boom, see Jesus, something changes, and it's like, we're in, fully in. Um, but most of us, it's a step-by-step process of learning trust, that you give or you sacrifice or you trust and then you, 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 you sense a provision or you sense a greater peace and you go, oh, I'm, gonna, I'm gonna do more, I'm gonna give more, I'm gonna serve more, I'm gonna be more aware of God's provision for my life. And that again unburdens you and you increase again. And it's just that is what I've noticed in my life as I've trusted in the Lord. It deepens our relationship with God. You know, at the beginning of this service I talked about like that vulnerability that we feel and we look at the world at the moment coronavirus is reminding us of our fragile nature and the nervousness and anxiety that can rise in the world and as Christians I use that to feed my relationship with Christ to deepen my relationship with Christ that draws me closer to God and so anything the devil throws at us we can turn on its head and say actually I'm using this I'm going to build this upon the rock of Christ and we build our faith I want to encourage you to to use the time given to you in your life to cultivate that deepening relationship with God. Moses went on to lead the people into freedom, into into the promised land. Gideon defeated the Philistines and freed the people from oppression. Jeremiah confronted a whole nation with their sin and helped them to understand God's will for them. Peter became the leader of the church following Jesus. We can look with fear and we can look to what we have or we can look to God 
and we can sow in faith. And as we do, we will reap a harvest in spiritual development and greater peace. Don't get me wrong. I'm not saying give a pound and the Lord will give you 10 pounds. I'm saying if you give, the Lord will teach you something about what it means to rely on him. And it might be tough, but your character will deepen. You will develop. You will grow in trust. The journey of faith is an exciting one. And as St. Paul says, we live by faith, not by sight. The more I trust, the more I lean into him, the greater my level of peace, the greater he becomes and the less the world becomes. Can I encourage you on the very real journey of choosing to rely on him, choosing to rely on Jesus, with your outlook, with your resources, with everything, and let him move you from worry and fear and anxiety to trust, to peace, to consolation through his spirit. And you will take that with you everywhere. It's a wonderful thing. So as we walk in the world at the moment, as we look into this world, let us not get caught up too much in fear, but let us have hope. Let us be driven to intimacy. Let us give and support this church, this community, each other. And let us look with hope to the future. And the spring of life will be flourishing in us. Amen.